Today I'm chatting with Nathan Stockley. Nathan is currently working with the Chinese weightlifting team in the build-up to the Tokyo Olympics. We chat about his experiences there and also simply working in China. Nathan has a master's qualification in strength and conditioning from the University of Edinburgh and has extensive experience in team sports in the UK. We also explore topics such as using the Olympic lifts in training athletes in how to introduce Olympic lifting to the developing athlete. We chat about whether the Olympic lifts are worth the investment in time, both for the junior and in the elite sports settings. I really hope you enjoy this podcast. Nathan has had an amazing experience working with the best weightlifters in the world. And some of the areas raised in this podcast may actually surprise. Anyway, let's get chatting. Uh, g'day, Nathan. How are you, mate? Yeah, very good. Thank you for having me. Oh, fantastic. No, thanks. Uh, thanks for, for joining me in China, too. How about that? Um, just a quick overview of what you've done in the past before you were in China. So uh, that would be interesting for, for the listeners. Yeah. Uh, so if you can't tell from my accent, I'm from England. <laughs> and I previously mainly worked in uh, sort of team sports and education. So I'll be very quick. Uh, after graduating from the University of Edinburgh with a master's in strength and conditioning, I went down to London to do an internship with Harlequins Rugby Club. And then after that, I worked in a school for two years. I worked in Scotland with the Scottish Institute of Sport. I worked for another professional rugby league team, one for Wolf Rugby League. And then after that, I worked for another school. And then uh, that sort of pretty much brings me up to, to coming in China. I've been in China for almost three years now. Wow, yeah. And it's interesting because uh, a friend of mine last year, you know, he, he sort of saw you on my Instagram feed, I think, you know, and that you were working in China. He goes, wow, the guy's working with the Chinese weightlifters. I'd love to know. He's a strength and conditioning guy in Australian rules footy. I'd love to know what he does. And, and obviously there's a certain amount of IP, but um, you, you, you're now working with the, or you have been working with the weightlifters, haven't you? Well, I've only worked with the weightlifters uh, in China. I came, so I came over in November 2018 to yep. work for the Chinese Olympic Committee. Yep. And the way it was structured, the way it was structured at that time was um, you didn't come over to work for a specific team. You came to work for the Olympic Committee. Yep. And then teams would approach the Olympic Committee for coaches. And so that's what happened. I got here in November 2018. And then when I arrived, I was told that I was going to be working on weightlifting. Was that a surprise to you? You know, Was that a, 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 a totally different brief to, to have the weightlifters in terms of what you've done in yeah. the past? It was. Um, it was a nice surprise because of all the athletes to work with in China, China weightlifting would have been the top team that I would have picked. Yeah. Um, oh, so that's... when I got here and they told me I was working with Chinese weightlifting, it was a bit of a... It was like um, having a pair of aces and then getting another pair of aces. It was pretty amazing. Um, I was pretty pretty shocked when they told me who I was going to be working with. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, obviously, uh, you know, I haven't been privy to, to watching them train, even though I'm in China. But you know, just just from all the the Instagram, social media feeds, and just the pictures, <laughs> they seem pretty amazing people. Within the limits, and I'll probably cut to the chase here. Within the limits of IP yeah. and what you can say and whatever, I, I think people will be really fascinated to be, you know, within the inner sanctum of Chinese weightlifting because it's just so so good. What's a brief? 
overview of, of how they train? I know it's a loaded question, but uh, I thought I'd, so, I'd cut yeah. to the chase. So, <laughs> I can't really go into too much detail because they might get upset. So, yeah, no, I'll try I mean, not to give away too many secrets. No. But gem- generally speaking, they train six days a week and they train mainly one session and it's a pretty heavy session. Yeah. And this, the session will either focus on squatting clean and jerk or the snatch and that's generally how the um, how, how their training week is broken up so each session will have a main exercise and then after that there'll be a supplementary exercise and then they'll move on to their assistance training yep. so I don't think that's that's too much of a secret that I've revealed there but um, yeah that's that's pretty much how they go they go six days a week um, each session is devoted to, to one of those main lifts um, either the main lifts or the squats and um, yeah, they supplement that with some supplementary lifts and then some accessory training. So is it? Fair? Actually, it's, sorry, sorry. It's not very complicated. It's <laughs> not very complicated. It's um, hard work, which they've been doing since they were twelve or fourteen years. And um, yeah, that's pretty much it. There's no big secrets. They just train incredibly hard. Uh, I, I suppose uh, they have a pretty good. I mean, there's one point four billion people here. And it's obviously a sport that's been successful. I suppose they have a pretty good talent ID system where they they uh, eke out the best kids. Is that more than so? From from what I gather, actually, they I could be wrong here because, as you know, there are so many different provinces and so many different mm. cities, and schools have their own systems. Yep. But from what I gather, it's not actually like that. Um, kids will get into weightlifting for various reasons. Uh, maybe there's a good weightlifting school near them or they think that they've got good attributes to be good weightlifters um, or they might just get picked to weightlift. Um, maybe there is a little bit of talent ID. That, you, that kid looks strong so he's going to come and join our weightlifting team. Mm-hmm. And um, I think really actually their success is not down to some, you know, I think back to may, maybe a bit before my time, like the early 2000s talent ID programs that you had in Australia. Yeah. I don't think there's anything like that at all. I think it's a case of they have hundreds of thousands of kids that do weightlifting. Yeah. And when you have that many kids doing weightlifting with really good coaches, some of them are going to turn out to be outstanding. And I think that's pretty much the case. They don't have, they don't really need to have a real good, strong talent ID process because they can just Past a big net over a load of kids and get them all weightlifting, and then out of that, you'll find that some of them turn out to be world-class weightlifters. So just the power of numbers in the end works, which is I suppose the same as table tennis and badminton in China, really, in a way. Uh, it's, it's, yeah, I think it's the, it's the power of numbers and also the quality of the coaches that they have. Right. So, okay. I mean, you'll, you can go to a little small town in the middle of nowhere. And the weightlifting coach there will be an outstanding weightlifting coach because he or she was a weightlifter. And that's one of the big differences. If you, I suppose in a lot of Western countries, a lot of the, maybe some of the weightlifting coaches got into weightlifting quite late, but here weightlifting coaches become coaches because they were athletes themselves. And so they have so many high quality coaches as well that that supplements their training program. Yeah, it's funny, diverging very quickly, I was looking at social media and somewhere in Africa and 
some guy coaching a kid in some village <laughs> with a, a platform out in the street you know, and doing some pretty good technique and seemed a pretty good coach. So. That's, that's <laughs> another, interest, another interesting thing that you bring up because one of the things that our athletes get surprised with is when they see pictures and videos of other countries and the facilities they've got and the yep. level of funding that they get, yep. they're shocked because they, they're... So what's nice about our weightlifters here is they don't criticize other countries' weightlifting techniques. They don't criticize other athletes. The only thing they really criticize is the level of funding that the government brings them. <laughs> so so they were never, I've spoken to them about you know Western weightlifting techniques and some of the things that we've learned, and they don't shun them. They don't, um, they're not disrespectful about the way different countries approach weightlifting, yep. but they are very critical of other countries' governments not providing the same amount of funding. It, it, as you say, it all gets down to coaching, and some sports have got a, a, a fantastic legacy of past coaches. I've seen it in cycling, actually, where the sprint cyclists have had a lot of foreign coaches, they've had a lot of success, so the trickle-down effect is the coaches in the provinces have become yes, yeah. pretty much privy to what, what the elite you know, coaching should be. Where the endurance side, with all due respects, um, They've not had a huge amount of foreign influence, and, and and so therefore the coach education is probably not as good. So you have a bit of a difference within a similar sport. When we get down to your job, obviously you you had more of brief. I'm assuming in rehabilitation, prehabilitation, for want of a better word. And uh, is that the case, or is this general preparation? Yes. So. Um, like I said earlier, the, the, the breakdown of their sessions is they'll do their main lift, then they may do some supplementary lifts, and then they'll go and do their assistance training. Yep. And their assistance training system, obviously, they in the country, and it works. But what they've done with getting foreign staff in is we provide assistance training as well, but it's different. So they, um, our main role is to work on assistance training with the athletes, and it's not better than what they do. It's just different and it's an alternative. Uh, some athletes only, we've got one athlete who only does assistance training with myself and the physiotherapist. Yep. And then we've got another athlete who pretty much sticks to the Chinese system of assistance training. So each athlete has their own individual amount of assistance training that they like to do. Um, and then some of the others do half and half, 50% with the weightlifting coaches, 50% with us. But generally speaking, that is our role. It's to provide the athletes with um, assistance training that supplements the assistance training that's already in their system. What do you find they need? You know, if there was a priority or a checklist or for want of a better word, the main issues, the imbalances, um, the main injuries, the solutions? It's probably a big question. Yeah. But just what, yeah, what, what do so, you think? Look, luckily for us, most of the training that helps to improve performance is also going to tie in with injury prevention. So it all fits. So if I talk about injuries, um, the main injuries that happen in weightlifting, obviously I can't go into the individual um, no. injuries that we've had. That'd be unethical. But generally speaking, in weightlifting, the main three at risk areas are the shoulder, the lower back, and the knee. And more specifically, shoulder injuries or the highest risk of shoulder injuries looks like or tends to be impingements. Um, with the knees, it's uh, issues such as anterior knee pain. And then with the lower back, it's 
general lower back soreness and pain and, and um, yeah, and, well, sorry, yeah, general lower back pain. So most of our training is aimed around reducing the risk of injury in those three areas. As it happens, a lot of the exercises that we do for those will also help to improve performance. So, for example, um, if we want to reduce lower back pain, we can look at exercises such as you know, very basic trunk exercises, um, trunk stiffness exercises, exercises for the hips. Those exercises are also going to help improve performance with the uh, shoulders. So we found that um, shoulder training, there um, lots of training in their system for, for muscle building in the shoulders, but very little for rotator cuff, um, scapulothoracic mm-hmm. um, muscles. So we've introduced a lot of those to them. I think they've done it before, but we've introduced it on a much, much larger scale. For example, with their trunk training, they tended to use quite a lot of dynamic trunk training, and we've introduced quite a lot of um, bracing and stiffness training. So actually quite a lot of low-hanging fruit um, that we brought in um, that is new to them. So it was quite nice for us to introduce a lot of things that we thought were incredibly simple, and they thought was actually really beneficial. And you found now that a lot of the athletes in the, t- in the team, not just the ones that we work with, are using a lot of the exercises and drills that we've introduced. The, the whole stiffness uh, versus movement, you know, trunk stability versus movement uh, exercises is, is, is somewhat of a debate, I suppose. But, but you, you, you've actually found that definitely doing some stiffness, for want of a better word, pull-off presses or derivatives of pull-off presses and things like that, yep. um, that, that, that they've actually found them beneficial. Yeah, pretty much. Um, and I was, I was surprised actually how little they did of that and, and how much movement training they do in the trunk, especially when you consider yep. the role of the trunk in weightlifting is, um, you know, it's classic. It's movement around the hips and yep. uh, racing in the trunk. So I was surprised how little of that that they did um, yep. before we got here. And some of the exercises we've introduced to them are not new exercises at all. Well, the physiotherapist that I work with is quite good and he's come with quite a lot of new things um, but generally speaking most of the stuff that we do is very well it's, it's very basic stuff um, but it's, it's been beneficial to them and I think that's really why they got had foreign staff to come in um, so I will say that I know that quite a few of the weightlifters have had foreign staff in the past um, so for example uh, Joseph Coyne I know that he worked with the athletes that I currently work with um, he's worked with them in the past and other foreigners have and I think sort of built up that success is when they decided that they wanted foreign staff to come work with them full time. Yeah. In, in the past, in the past, foreign staff have worked with them around working with other athletes or for short periods. So I think they realised that it's you know it's quite beneficial having foreign staff with different ideas. So that's why they brought us all in, and that's why we've been here for such a long time, almost three years now. Well, yeah, and obviously, if you've been there three years and and uh, at the level they're at, uh, obviously, uh, things must be working. So, as you say, if you can improve thoracic mobility or if you can improve a, an imbalance in the shoulder uh, and that, that helps them hold a position better, they, they'll notice that, won't they? It's not, it's, not, it's not just sort of token work. Yeah, pretty much, um, and that's been pretty much all we've done for the last two or three years we haven't 
really had to change much. We've not done a lot of the training we're doing now looks similar to what we did when we first started here. Uh, that's not because we've been afraid to progress it. It's just because we know it works and it fits in. And it also fits in with their way of training. If you think they're weightlifters, they do the same things over and over again. And yeah. they have done for the last 15 years since yeah. they started weightlifting. So for us to give them the same things over and over again that works is not, we don't have to entertain them with new exercises. They're not, they don't need fads or anything. Yeah. Do some pretty, they, they know what works. and. If you give them a thoracic mobility exercise and and some posterior shoulder strength work and uh, and you know some stiffness work and it helps them, then they'll they'll do it all the time, won't they? They're that type of uh, athlete. Yeah. 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 Interesting. Yeah, and like I said, and like I said, those things that you've just listed, you know, to you and me, they're very simple, very basic. Um, nothing we've done. We we really haven't invented the wheel here in this role at all. Uh, we've just come in and gone with the basics and that's been really successful that's why we've lasted such a long time yeah yeah well that that's probably the crux of my question because i think a lot of people would be thinking you've come up with a incredibly complex snatch specific exercise where you what you're saying is you're pretty much doing what you do if you were working with the english rugby union team exactly so- and then my our, our way of thinking of it is if you've got if you're the strength and conditioning coach for Barcelona and you've got Lionel Messi, mm. your job might not be to make him better. Your job might just be to keep him on the pitch. <laughs> and that's exactly what we've got here. Our guys are already the best in the world, yeah. so we don't have to necessarily make them better. We just have to make sure that they, we can reduce their injury risk. Uh, we can reduce movement errors. So we spend a lot of time watching the athletes. Um, we do screen them, but yeah. most of our screening comes just from watching them lift yeah. uh, under heavy loads. And that's when we can start spotting movement errors and trying to find ways to, to, you know, to correct any imbalances that we see. And when I was watching a cyclist squat the other day and his right foot, his heel was coming up. And then from there, I actually did a dorsiflexion test. And I, I'm a sort of a, a great believer in often see, look at something and then do a t- screening test in t- instead of just doing screening tests and then trying to work out what the hell you're going to do with them. Yeah, I think, I think they complement each other. I think when we first got here, the first thing we did was screen yeah, them. Yeah. And then we started planning training off of that. Yeah. And then we started watching, and then we started to watch them train. And we realized that a lot of what we figured out, we could have watched from training. Um, <laughs> you know, screening still has its place. Um, and it's very beneficial and very important. Um, we don't have any um, equipment here. We don't have any force plates or um, <laughs> anything like that to help us screen. So all our screening is pretty much done with like a... a Oh, we haven't got a, we don't have access to an isokinetic dynamometer either, so all the screening is pretty much done. The physio uses a handheld dynamometer and, um, you know, he does a lot of individual screenings when he treats. And, that, and that's pretty much it. For our guys, that's pretty much how we screen them. <laughs> it's pretty crazy, isn't it? Because you've got this massive industry. <laughs> you know, you know, everywhere in the world and, 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 and I'm not, saying it's, there's anything wrong with it because it's fantastic information <laughs> and then you've got the strongest guys in the world and you haven't got any of the equipment <laughs> it's always yes quite, 100% it's quite ironic a lot a lot of that comes from the fact that they've trained all their life without it so they may possibly don't feel the need to introduce it later on I mean we we made suggestions to them um, that actually you know equipment like force space would be helpful but you know it just sort of went in one ear and went out the other or it didn't get translated up the chain of command or 
So you've never seen a gym where we're in action, at force velocity profiling or anything like that? So I've actually um, so uh, got introduced Randy Huntington, who yeah. a lot of people may know as a world-class athletics coach who's in China. He gave me or introduced me to a bit of equipment called a VMAX Pro, yeah. which is a um, barbell velocity tracking system. And I used that for a while, and I showed the coaches the information. Um, I showed them the bar path. I showed them uh, little things like little force velocity curves and mm-hmm. what was happening here and there. And they just weren't, they were like, oh, okay, that's cool. But they weren't really <laughs> interested in it. I mean, <laughs> so this VMAX Pro is quite good because it's one of the only, or it may, there may be more now, but it measures bar paths. Yep, yep. So I could show, I could show them the actual bar paths and actually they weren't interested. <laughs> they weren't interested in their bar paths. Um, <laughs> it comes back, it's quite... It's quite interesting in the West how with weightlifting there are so many things that we think are important for weightlifting and so many little things that we pay attention to and these guys just not interested at all. Certainly in AFL, when I was a high performance manager, you know, my job, or I felt, was to work out what, what we were wasting time on with testing and what was useful. There was a bit of an argument that you know, research-based type stuff or sports science stuff could get in the way of valuable training time. Next one I wanted to ask about was, they look ripped, right? They're lean, you know? And yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm working in China, and, and my experience of Chinese cuisine is it's greasy one day okay the next and then totally different the next and then full of oil the next and full of sugar the next um how did they get so ripped well they've been training heavy weightlifting since the age of 12 13 14 and they do that six days a week mm-hmm. so after five or six years of doing that uh you're going to accumulate a large amount of muscle mass uh, okay. and you know maybe maybe there's some physiologists listening that can put me wrong here but I just think maybe having a large amount of muscle mass, um, or particularly a large amount of like fast type two fibers, I don't know. Maybe that has something to do with their um, with, with staying lean. Um, it might also be the fact that we're looking at the top genetic uh, portion of the of the of the best lifters, and maybe one of the reasons they've got the genetic the, the genetic potential that helps them be at the top is also what gives them you know body composition um, I'm really not sure to be honest because well, I, did ask yeah, Randy, like I, did, I did ask Randy Huntington this one day I, I messaged him you know about the same question and he felt that yeah they were the top of the top of the tree in China and they had really high testosterone levels naturally you know they were just genetically gifted so they could churn, yeah. up, churn up the body fat really uh, yeah yeah I mean I'd be interested if there's any physiologists listening or nutritionists that can answer me this um, does having extraordinarily high levels of type 2 fibres have an effect on the amount of body fat that you have? Um, I don't know the answer. So if anyone does know and they can get in touch, that'd be great to, to hear that. <laughs> so so if, 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 if lunch or dinner is served and it's greasy, for want of a better word, you know, yeah. it's it, you, what you would term in terms of sports dietetics, greasy, they'll just hoe into it. They'll just, yeah. there's not much to, they're not too fussy. Not really, no. Um, yeah, it's probably, I think it's the same in most um, Chinese athletes. Yeah. They're just, it's what they've always eaten. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Gee, it's fascinating, isn't it, to look at them. Uh, so they, I mean, they they generally, give... so generally speaking, though, you've probably noticed there's not much obesity in this country anyway. Some some guys are overweight, but generally speaking, the country's quite a healthy country, um, even though some of the things that we see are not always that healthy. Um, yeah. yeah, maybe there is more of a, a genetic thing to it. 
I suppose my experience has been is that they're not obese, some of the athletes, this is in cycling, but they're not as lean as they should be. Um, right, okay. That could be it's really interesting because in the cycling area, um, not so much the sprint cycling, but again, the endurance, they just, they, they, I'm not, not being critical here, but they just do a huge amount of volume, okay? And they probably do more yeah. volume. And, and then, to, to, from one a better word, they're probably not quite as successful as other countries. That's as nice a way as I can yeah. put it, right? And um, so whether they're not working, you know, their muscle, not developing enough muscle mass and not working their type 2 fibers. So they don't do body fat skin folds or DEXA scans or anything like that? They just sort of... Yeah, they do. Um, the sports scientists do... Oh, I forgot what it's called now, is it? But it's not one of the gold uh, standard methods. It's just uh, where they where they stand on the on the metal plates and hold the things in their yeah, hands. Yeah, um, the, uh, the water, the water the body thing. Yeah, uh, the... Um, I've totally forgotten too what it's called. Yeah, I, I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's, it's seen as. <laughs> but uh, yeah, there's there's no there's no Dexer, there's no Bod Pod, there's no skin Pod. They just they just use that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cool. I love it. I love it. So <laughs> we briefly went into what you did before weightlifting, and now you know. Say for instance, next year you went to train badminton or rugby or you know Australian rules footy. Has working yeah. with weightlifters altered the way you would program other sports or your general view of strength and conditioning before you, you know, before and after? I would say, I would say probably not um, for okay. a couple of reasons. Firstly, elite, elite weightlifters are unique athletes and the volume load that they can handle far outweighs that of any other athletes. Mm-hmm. So if I was to try and get any non-weightlifting athletes to train the way these guys do, I think they would break down and there'd be a lot of injuries. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, like more importantly, um, well, other non-weightlifting athletes don't need the same stimulus as weightlifters do for adaptation. Yep. So they don't necessarily need to train anywhere near like they do. I think also what's important to remember is each sport has got its own unique demands. So um, you, know, you need to dose the appropriate amounts of each uh, physical quality for that sport and that individual athlete. So nothing really would change too much from what I used to do because um, mm-hmm. I've worked with a lot of different athletes in different multi-sports as well. So, mm-hmm. you know, everything was always, always different. Um, having worked in weightlifting, I'm not suddenly going to become one of those old school S&C coaches that just gets his athletes to do weightlifting and thinks that solves everything. Because, yeah, that's not going to meet the demands for, for their sport. You, you, you almost answered my next question. Uh, <laughs> given the, the exposure of the Olympic lifts that you know you've had, um, yeah. you, you wouldn't use them more in your preparation than you would have in the past. You haven't sort of been. No. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Again, um, I, give, I think I've always dosed the appropriate amount of weightlifting for each athlete yeah. uh, for their individual for their sport and their individual needs. So, I think if I was to work with a weight, uh, you know, an athlete that didn't need weightlifting then I wouldn't do it at all. Um, So, yeah, I wouldn't... I'm not biased. Um, I'm not one of these guys that tries to force upon the athletes that I work with what I think is... or what I'm favoured towards. It's always going to be what they need, what the athlete needs, and also what the coach wants because, you know, you could have... You could be working with a team and then a new coach could come in and you might have to completely change what they're doing based on the, the philosophy of the coach. I think though what I would do differently and what I will do differently is the way I coach them because now that I've spent so much time working with these athletes and these coaches, um, I've picked up quite a lot of tips and uh, 
tips and hints about weightlifting and um, yeah, cues and know. things like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean the athletes. I mean most athletes I'm going to work with in the future aren't going to be aren't going to be able to lift like these guys. But there are still plenty of key technical components of Chinese weightlifting that I think that can transfer to what most most athletes can do. I, I was a hammer thrower, so I did a lot of. I competed in Olympic lifting, lifting, you know, before I was a conditioning guy, person, and. Uh, oh, right. But once I got into Australian rules footy, well, when I first started in Australian rules football in the 80s, I had everybody power cleaning, but then by the late 90s, I was being specific. And then if a person could power clean, I'd get into power clean. If they couldn't, I would do a clean pull from the ground, and I sort of adapted to what the athlete could do. Um, have you developed the amount of variations or derivatives of Olympic lifts that you would provide athletes, or to be honest, you know... Did you already know them before you actually worked with the Chinese? Uh, hopefully, that's a um, makes sense. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I, I'm trying to think if there's anything different now yeah. that I know in terms of derivatives for athletes that's different to the way it was before. And there probably isn't too much that's that different because again, there's only a small number of derivatives that they use. They don't have. A thousand and one yeah. different options. Um, yeah. There are a few maybe things that I would do differently. The way they um, finish a pull and pull themselves under the bar. Yeah. So I know um, we talk weightlifting derivatives. There's been a lot of research by Tim Sukumal and Paul Comfort. Yeah. Um, and I don't really think you know if you look at this, the research that they've done. I know their research hasn't been with weightlifters, um, but. I can't think of anything much outside of what they've talked about that I would include. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't, again, I think it's just the way I coach the um, well, the way I coach it would be different to the way I coached before. Yeah, um, having yeah. watched the way they do the lifts and perform mm-hmm. them, but mm-hmm. there wouldn't be too much different. Okay. And okay. again, I'd probably only if you're working with an athlete, uh, an athlete, it's probably best just to stick to a few basic lifts anyway, and not have a thousand variations of, of each lift. Um, that, that said, you need them in your toolbox for when you've got an athlete who can't perform a lift. Um, yeah, I think in, in general, I don't think there'll be too much has changed in terms of my thinking than what it was, how it was before. So I was always a little bit biased towards the Olympic lifts uh, because I had this belief still do somewhat that if you knew how to do them you sort of could do anything else if it was taking me too long to teach a footballer for want of a better word uh, to become proficient at the Olympic lifts within a program I, I, I would ditch that, that, that task and I, I would move to a simpler lift As I, do you uh, would you try and get kids when they're young to learn the Olympic lifts from, from A to X maybe uh, in their development, and, yeah, with a stick, with a bar, uh, so that they... Yeah, um, I haven't worked with too many kids under the age of 13. Yeah. Um, when I worked in schools, I worked with kids between the ages of 13 and 18. Um, uh, there's a really good paper by Rodri Lloyd. Yeah, um, yeah. talks about, I think, I think it's called Long-Term Athletic Development and its Application to Youth Weightlifting. Yeah. And they talk about... Um, you know, weightlifting having higher coordinated demands with other resistance exercises. Yep. And if you expose a child to weightlifting techniques when the brain and neuromuscular system maturation rates are high, 
that would be seem quite logical. And I think that sort of goes along the the lines that you just said that yeah. if you can teach kids weightlifting, they can probably pick up most skills. And I agree with that. I mean, it probably goes as long as you're not just weightlifting. As long as you're exposing them to other skills that are necessary, that's fine. Um, in terms of you know how much time it takes to coach weightlifting, again, if you drop everything just to coach weightlifting, then you've not developed multi-sport athletes or you're not developed team playing athletes. You've just developed weightlifting athletes. But again, yeah, I do agree with you. If you can start teaching the kids when they're young, it's going to make it so much easier for them to pick up other skills in the gym. And it's also context-specific. It depends on how many kids you've got to coach. Yeah, um, yeah. Their willingness to learn the environment that they're in. Yeah. I can think of kids before that have picked up really easily. And then I've had other kids who are almost objecting to it. And I just think, right, in that case, if you're not going to want to learn it and you're putting up a barrier, then I won't bother. And then there's, you know, you, if, you, if you've got a kid who doesn't want to learn it and you're trying to force it upon them, you've probably lost that kid. And he's yeah. going to pay, he or she's going to pay very little attention to what you've got to say. Um, yeah. So you've got to pick your battles from, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I can, I can think of twelve, you know, thirteen-year-olds that I've had that have been more mature, receptive than say sixteen-year-olds. Um, so it's always going to be specific to to the environment you're in and what you're up against. And so, so we've got a group of kids, and, and this kids could be like seventeen, they could be thirteen, and kids are kids, and yeah. they, they haven't been, and. and if we're in this setting, and uh, what, what progressions would you do? You know, there's that, that classic argument: do you do top to bottom, or you know, bottom? You know, start with the hand clean, start with the bottom, or do you mix it up? What What, what have you found? Have you learned anything in China how you would introduce lifting in terms of um, the approach? You know, because obviously, when you're in a gym, people say, "Oh, start start top to bottom," or you know, so other people will argue otherwise. Why other people just say mix it up? <laughs> well. From, I haven't seen any beginners in China learn because obviously I'm with the elite, I'm with the top end. Um, when I've been to some weightlifting schools, I've only seen sort of like 14, 15 year olds and they're already pretty competent. Yeah. So I haven't seen, but I've spoken to coaches and some in China, some start top down, some mm. start from the bottom. Um, <laughs> so it depends. You, there is no actual technical model in China. Yeah. So it's, it depends on what that coach has learned and that coach will pass on their knowledge and so on and so on. So there's no China weightlifting level one certificate or anything like that. There's no set way of doing it. It will depend on the school that you're at, um, which coach you're working with. Um, but personally, I've always started with top down. Okay. And the reason for that is, the reason for that is if you're teaching someone to do a clean, well, one thing I've learned from China is the importance of using the upper body in the lifts not in the, in the first stage of the pull, but once hip extension is complete, they don't just drop under the bar. They continue to pull the bar where they're trapped in their, yep, their yep, arms. Yep. Um, that's not going to pull the bar up when it's heavy. What it is going to do is it's going to pull them under the bar. And it's going to help keep the bar close. So the first thing that I teach is the arm movement. Uh, so it depends. There is no actual technical model in China. Yeah. So it's, it depends on what that coach has learned and that coach will pass on their knowledge and so on and so on. So there's no trying to weightlifting level one to or anything like that. There's no 
set way of doing it. It will depend on the school that you're at, um, which coach you're working with. Um, but personally, I always start at the top down. And the reason for that is, the reason for that is if you're teaching someone to do a clean, well, one thing I've learned from China is the importance of using the upper body in the lips, not in the in the first stage of the call, but once hip extension is complete, they don't just drop over the bar, they continue to pull the bar with a trap to their, yeah. their arms. Yeah. Um, that's not going to pull the bar up. When it's heavy, what it is going to do is it's going to pull them under the bar. It's going to help keep the bar close. So the first thing that I teach is the arm movement. Intuitively, as an athlete, when I was doing my power planes as a hammer thrower, I used to try and pull close to the body and really vigorously pass my chest. So, so in terms of the progressions, I think, I think we've gone through that. But what I wanted to talk about was the elite setting. So an Australian Rules Football Club or elite team in, in, in the UK. Or, and, and again, that argument comes back, well, it's just taking too long to teach these guys the Olympic lifts. So let's ditch them. And I, I've been sort of guilty of that at times. What, what's your comment on that? We were talking about kids and embedding um, little bits of Olympic lifting throughout a year until until uh, uh, until the coordination occurred. Is that something you would do at the elite level too? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, it's always context specific, you know, depending on how many athletes you've got and the coach ratio yep. and how much time you've actually got in your sessions mm. and also the attitude of the athletes. If you've got an athlete who's refusing to Olympic lift, then there's not much point trying to teach them. But generally speaking, I don't think that you need to... I think people try and rush the lift. They have this idea that they have to be able to teach the whole lift in six weeks. If not, they can't use it. Yep. But in actual fact, like personally speaking, I think the best way to do it is to teach all your athletes one small component of the lift. Yep. And then rather than moving on to the next component, get good at that for a few weeks and actually start loading it up. Yeah. So if your first, I don't know, if the first thing you're going to teach an athlete is to buy pull from the hip, once you've taught them how to do that, instead of moving on, have them do that for a few weeks, put it in the program, start loading it up, so you're actually getting some, some adaptation from doing that technique, and then move on. So don't think that you need to teach the full Olympic lift in, in, in six weeks. Mm -hmm. Take a less, of course. Yeah, there's no, I don't see why people are so um, rushed to teach them from scratch to full lift really quickly. Mm -hmm. uh, I've had athletes in the past that I've taught it to, and I've taken the whole the whole year to teach them how to do it. Yeah. And yeah. rushed it. And that, the good thing about doing that is if you've got an athlete and you can teach them one part of the lift, and then they struggle with the next part, just step back to what you're doing before and maybe that's the lift that you'll put in that athlete's program. You don't have to have every athlete doing a full clean or snatch from the floor. Certainly, I'm, I'm not, even though I was a hammer thrower and an Olympic lifter, I was pretty horrible technique on the platform, but I was strong Olympic lifting centric because I understand contact times when you're running and the difference between uh, the force velocity curves in movement. but. But what, what it seems to me is because I have a track and field background and when you if, if you went to the you know USA trials now, the Olympic trials, and you, uh, I, not, this is purely subjective, I, I think there's a lot more people doing Olympic lifting amongst those athletes than people realise. I think we, we tend to ditch it very early in a program. 
I mean, comparing track and field athletes to team sport athletes, I would imagine most track and field coaches have got a little bit more one-on-one with their athletes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And might have yeah. you know, different phases of the season where they can spend more time working on their little bit lifts. But yeah. even in a team sport setting, I, I still think that you can work some element of the Olympic lifting into your program. And you're going to have numerous athletes. I think some of them will be able to do Olympic lifts if you teach them, and if you don't teach them because you think there's not enough time, you're, you're possibly neglecting those athletes that could do it in favour of the ones that can't do it. You can't just assume that all of your athletes aren't going to be able to do it. Um, yeah, that's my opinion. Yeah, and look, we all know that what happens on the field is, is all really all that matters or what happens on the track. It's not what happens in the gym. It doesn't really matter whether you can power clean, but, but obviously, you know, that, 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 that it, it, it is interesting that some of the elite athletes in the world that run the fastest, jump the highest, still use the Olympic lifts. Yeah, well, the other thing to remember is a lot of these elite athletes or non-weightlifting athletes, their techniques aren't perfect and there's a lot of things they could improve, but not really a massive, massive issue for them. If they're not professional weightlifters or competitive weightlifters and their technique's a little bit rusty, it really doesn't matter. As long as it's safe and they're getting the adaptation out of the lift that they need, then you know, there's no issue there, as far as I'm concerned. And then the, 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 the thing that I found, the transition when I was retired in my mid-30s, she asked me to do a trap bar deadlift or a deadlift or anything else. It was just all very easy. Getting back to China and getting back to the inverted commas, the simplicity of their program versus the complexity of programs that we see now written out and the trap that I even have sometimes to just add too many exercises uh, in my program and, and they just get too long. Um, have you altered a little bit? Have you looked at the programs in China? And I know I've asked this question a lot of times, you know, has, has China influenced you? But in terms of the volume of exercises you put in the program or are you still a, a KISS method person? <laughs> Want a better word? Yeah, no, not, not really. So I think the volume, the number of exercises they would do in a session, maybe two big lifts and a few assistance exercises, is no different to the number of lifts that a non-weightlifting athlete should do in a session. Yep. The only difference being is the amount of time weightlifters will spend on their training. So if you're working with a team sport athlete, you might try and get them to do four exercises in 45 minutes to an hour, whereas these guys will spend an hour just working on their one lift before moving on to the, to the rest of the session. But the actual number of exercises is still quite low. Uh, getting back to a little bit of a philosophical chat, um, and, and, and certainly being a little bit careful about how we talk about this, um, but I'll certainly engage also that the positives and negatives of sport in China and what you've experienced in China and what you've taken out of it and what you've probably learned not to take out of it. Yeah, so um, the main, well, I think the main positives to me are pretty obvious in the fact that I've spent three years with the best weightlifting team for the last 20 years, so I've been able to pick up tons of information from them that possibly not many other Westerners have been able to do, not in the, especially not in the volume that I've been here. Um, so that to me is a huge, huge bonus. Outside of weightlifting, um, it's nice to, I think anyone who ever comes to China to work needs to be aware of things are different and they don't do the 
things the way that we do in the West. And I suppose in some ways it's a positive to see their approach being completely different to ours and it still still has results. Mm. Um, I suppose just the general the general exposure to a different culture and a different way of doing things is eye-opening. Um, it just broadens your horizons, uh, you know, working in sport. Some of the some of the negatives, probably communication. I've struggled to pick the language up, which has made it difficult to communicate with the team. Um, so sometimes you know, there's little bits of information that I could have gained out of them had I been able to speak the language, but yeah, you know, I've just not been able to. Um, yeah, and like I said, one of the positives is seeing the way they do things is being different, um, and sometimes that can be a negative. Sometimes you're sitting there thinking, why are you doing it that way? We'd never do it that way in the West. And then you have to remember, oh, I'm not in the West, I'm in China, and that's just the way they do things. From a lifestyle perspective, I, 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 I have ups and downs myself in terms of the 24-7, 365 days of the year approach that they have, and, and, and sometimes that just weighs heavily on me, and I almost feel for the athletes, but, but they're, 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 they're seemingly happy with it, and they're there a lot, because obviously that's the way they do it. That's the way they do it, yeah. That's the way they and that's normal to them. So yeah. that's one of the things I think is, as a foreigner coming in, you, you sort of, you've got to adapt and you've got to accept that that's how they do it. Yeah, yeah. And I suppose I, I, I've been involved in some sports where I've just questioned the amount of work they do, you know, the pure volume uh, versus, uh, and, and, and certainly, Oh, acute chronic ratios here don't mean much. Uh, yeah. <laughs> with RPE data, getting back to that word, the power of numbers, that they may not do everything the right way, but the good athletes survive and then they prosper later. 2021, uh, what's happening with you right now, mate? So, uh, my contract is going to finish at the end of July, and yeah. the way things stand is, uh, well, yeah, at the moment, it's... Um, there's not much going on. Um, after the Olympics, the national will disband. Yep. Uh, there's a national games here in China in September. Yep. And then after that, most of the teams are going to have a break. So actually, I'm not sure what, uh, what, what I'll be doing. Uh, yeah, so the weightlifting team itself will, have, will break up for four to five to six months. Um, and then they'll reform at the end of the year or the beginning of next year for the next Olympics. Mm-hmm. So... Um, that's what's happening with weightlifting, uh, as opposed to what's happening with me, I'm not quite sure yet. Okay, all right, well, well, good luck with that, and uh, yeah, same with me, my contract ends in December, and uh, after the National Games, depending on results, we'll, I'll probably know my fate. Now, that's been fantastic talking to you, Nathan, it's certainly brought up a few uh, different uh, perspectives. Th- thanks heaps for the chat. And, uh, and no, mate, thanks, for, thanks for having me. Again. I want to thank Nathan for that chat, and it will certainly be interesting watching the Chinese weightlifting team in Tokyo. There's an amazing bunch of athletes and weightlifters. Uh, certainly, have, he's had a fascinating experience in China for three years, and I'm sure he's accrued an enormous amount of knowledge. Obviously, there are things he can't say, which is only the right thing, but. Uh, after three years training with these, uh, these Chinese weightlifters, I'm sure Nathan could offer hoops to lots of strength training programs. Anyway, thanks Nathan.